Hello and welcome to the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson. Thanks for joining us once again. Back in the studio, and by studio I mean my house, uh, Pastor Aaron White. Pastor Aaron, welcome back to the podcast. Hello, it's good to be here. And Pastor Aaron is a pastor at River Hills Community Church, and also the author of three books. We didn't mention it last week, uh, but The Gospel of Our Grandfathers, Preserving the Good News for Future Generations, When Shadows Fall, The Grieving Saint, and The Granite Promises of Romans 8, which we're talking about today, and then his most recent book, Scandalous, Recovering the Gospel That Makes Sinners Blush. And so let's jump right in. We're talking about Romans chapter 8 and verse 30, so I'll read that again. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So last week we covered the idea of predestination. Now we're getting into the idea of a calling. So those who were predestined were also called. So what does that word called mean in that context? We get a little bit of help if we go back to Romans 8.28, because you see uh, that same word. So you go back to Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And then jump down to verse 30 where we are today, and those who may predestined, he also called. And so hopefully if you were tuning in last time, you, you got the discussion on what predestination means and, and going back then to verse 29, foreknowledge, because as you can see, theologians call verses 29 and 30, specifically verse 30, the golden chain. Right of salvation because these things are kind of linked together yeah. it's not exhaustive it's not an exhaustive what theologians would also call an ordo salutis or an order of salvation an exhaustive order of salvation would include things like regeneration and sanctification and, yeah. um, but here we have Paul's kind of succinct order of salvation and again in case you weren't tuning in last week when we look at verse 30 it is it's living in the house of Romans 8 and Romans 8 is living in the house of the book of Romans. And so here where we are contextually is Paul has been building this argument for eight chapters or, you know, almost eight chapters at this point. And at this point in Romans 8, if you look at verse 18, he says, For I know the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. And so you notice that in verse 18 he begins to pastor saints who are groaning, saints who have what... We already and not yet. Now that tension yeah. of the already and not yet. They already have the spirit. They're already safe. They're already out from underneath God's condemnation. But they're not yet free from the presence of sin. They're not yet free from pain. They're not yet free from persecution. And so Paul is, starting in verse 18, is really specifically trying to pastor and help Christians who are groaning and suffering. And you'll just kind of scan from verse 18 on and you'll see that. And then through the end of the chapter, you know, who, who will separate us from the love of Christ? That's the question. Is If I'm groaning... If I'm in pain, if I'm my faith is waning, how do I know that I'm going to make it home? How do I know that God will, uh, if he is a covenant-keeping God? And so just to, by way of reminder, for anyone tuning in, either just to refresh your memory or if you're tuning in for the first time, when we look at Romans 8.30, it can be very incendiary and very heated, and normally if you want to start a debate, it's one of the top yeah. three passages you would go to. Uh, but it's not meant contextually to provoke that kind of response. It's meant, ironically, sadly, ironically, it's meant to provoke encouragement and hope uh, on those days when uh, your faith is waning, temptation is strong, you're doubting, you're in pain, you're being persecuted. Uh, so for someone who, you know, maybe a foreign country where persecution is very raw and visceral, it, I find it ironic that Paul, if you were to say, what would Paul tell them? Where would Paul point them? 
Well, he would probably point them to very lofty doctrines mm-hmm. like predestination, foreknowledge, and but now we come to that word calling. How does calling fit in with this order of salvation? Well, we talked last time about the confusion over the word foreknowledge that uh, started with Philip Melanchthon and then on after the post-Reformation time. Uh, the majority view in evangelicalism today would probably be that view of foreknowledge. It says God looks forward in time right. and chooses us based on what we do. Um, that's not what the word means. It means God knows eternally and lovingly individuals to know those whom he foreknew, not that which, but that what he foreknew. Um, and so he's talking about individuals. And so we bear that in mind when we come to the word call. Because many times, just like with foreknowledge, we want to attribute a different definition than right. that which is appropriate. And so with the word call, we say, oh, well, God calls everybody. It's normally what just says, well, that's not a problem. God calls everyone. God wants all people to be he saved. He wants all people to be saved. And we're, we are called to go and call all men to repent right. and believe the gospel. And so that's normally where the consternation comes is because it seems like a violation of reasoning to say, wait a minute. We're all called to go forth and make disciples of every nation and preach the gospel and to call men. So that simply means, I'm being the antagonist right now. Sure. In verse 30, they say the call just means those who hear the gospel. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't go any further than that. But is that true? Or is there something more? Well, I don't want to give a spoiler alert. You know, for, Well, maybe I should give a spoiler alert for next time when we look at the word justified. So I won't go into details on that right now. But... Look at the verse itself. So if you're at home, look at your Bible, verse 30. Those whom he predestined, he also called. But where does this call go? What is the result of the call? And he goes on to say, and those whom he called, he also justified. So again, I'll wait till next time to give more detail. But for now, justified means saved. It means to be cleared of guilt. So what you would be saying is if you think the word call is just hearing the gospel, then well, then you're saying that everyone who hears the gospel is saved. They are justified. Uh, but we know experientially, uh, we know biblically, looking at Matthew 13, the parable of the sowers, that that is categorically untrue. That this calling does not, if you mean this general calling to everybody, terminates in salvation. That can't be what Paul means. And so the question is, what kind of call is this? We're not saying that we're not called to preach the gospel to everyone, but what is this calling? Because this calling results in salvation. So, you want anything to add before I give it away? Well, I think it's important. You mentioned the idea of the golden chain. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. Because those who, everyone who is predestined is called. And those who are called are justified. So we can't just break that up into, well, some people are called. Everyone's called, but not all people are justified. Well, that wouldn't fit the flow of this verse. We have to break that chain and again the ultimate termination is here is glorification we're talking about heaven not to get too far ahead but we know most evangelicals would agree not everyone is saved and not everyone's going to go to heaven not everyone is out there the the Rob Bell types and whatnot. but uh, the majority of conservative evangelicals would agree there so if we're going to follow this chain we have to see there is something different about this call and I think you're getting there, but there is a different. There are different types of calls. We distinguish between an external call and maybe an internal call. Mm-hmm. Wonderful segue, and I think <laughs> you're right. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yes, the external call and the internal call. And so you're absolutely right. And what what we see in Scripture when we say external call uh, for for the listeners, an external call meaning 
Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus yeah. says, "Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest." It's you know the call of Isaiah. You know, come and buy without money. Come and drink. Yeah. You know, it's it's you and I going and, and preaching the gospel to all people uh, indiscriminately. We go uh, here to the city park and we strike up a conversation. We preach, or we go door to door and hand out gospel tracts and we preach, or we talk to our coworkers and we share the good news of the gospel. That's the external call that goes out yeah. to everyone everywhere, and that call is commanded. Jesus says, go and and make disciples of all nations. It's not arbitrary. It's not uh, not something you can do or not do that we are called to go and preach the gospel to everyone. And so that is also commanded by God. Um, But then, but we said that that call uh, to repent and believe the gospel doesn't always, head for head, always terminate in justification. But yet this call in Romans 8.30 does. And so there is this external call that goes out to everyone everywhere, head for head, to all people, to the unreached peoples of the world. But as we go, and as that human element is speaking, the internal call is what God does. Right. The external call is the human element preaching to everyone. But through that, uh, and be encouraged, because many of us are weak in our preaching. Many of us are weak in our evangelism. We're, but through our efforts, um, the sovereign God of the universe, who commanded light to come from darkness, speaks through and gives the internal call. Yeah. And so that's clearly the call that Paul has in mind because that call produces justification. Now, most people, they'll see that and they'll agree and say, well, logically that must be correct, but the implications is where we normally yeah. choke. And we say, well, but why doesn't he do that for everybody? <laughs> and I'm guessing some of our listeners I, maybe... I, I would say that's probably the number one objection. Right. You're saying my, the person I've been praying for for all of my life may not be chosen. It's true, but how much time do we have? <laughs> um, what I mean is, it sounds like sleight of hand. Yeah. But what it really is is an attempt to be painfully but joyfully biblical. Right. To say, let's let's not get into philosophy. Let's let the Word of God stand. What does Scripture say? Well, I can take you to Romans ten. You know, verses starting in 14, uh, yeah, 14 through 17, very clearly Paul calls us to go and preach. He, yeah. he says, how will they call on him in whom they've not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they've never hear, heard? And how are they to hear if we don't preach? How do we preach if we don't go? Yeah. And so clearly, the God who has ordained the salvation of his elect, those whom he predestined, is also the God who ordained the means right. to that end, which is going and sacrificing the David Brainers, the Martin Luthers, yeah. the... Uh, Amy Carmichael's of the world to go and preach and you know average Christians who won't ever go to China or India but just are faithful with the word he's ordained that right. uh, Ephesians 2.10 he's prepared good works beforehand that we might walk in them but he's ordained the means to that end as well so it's really we ought not be asking or at least tormenting ourselves with what if the person I'm praying for is not elect yeah. it's really inappropriate to ask that the Lord's not revealed that so what has he revealed? He has revealed that we are to pray. We know that prayer does things. Right. We're called to preach. All the means of grace that the Lord has given. So at no point um, should we say, well, they're, they're clearly not elect. Because right. someone could come to Christ on their deathbed. Well, we've gotten to some of the, the relevant scriptures. We mentioned other passages, even in Romans. But I think you can see this idea of calling throughout scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, even in the Old Testament, you have the idea of, Jeremiah being set apart from the womb. So clearly God had a plan for his life. Uh, 
Galatians, Paul says the same thing about him. He was, he's been separated for the gospel. And so I think it's obvious in Scripture that, and I think we accept this idea of a calling in terms of vocation, in terms of God has a wonderful plan for my life or, or, or whatever. Um, but then for some reason we shy away from or we're offended at, well, God has a plan for my salvation. God has chosen um, me from the foundation of the world. But that's where Scripture's at. You're absolutely correct. Um, and that's one, one hard thing. One of the reasons verse 30 uh, is a point of contention is because it's hard on the flesh. Yeah. Uh, wonderfully so. Beautifully so. It was hard for me. Very few people come to these doctrines um, and don't choke right. for a time. You know, to study. To And it doesn't mean that I've ascended some uh, hill of yeah. piety or anything like that. Just spent more time and probably more prayer and had to kind of hit my head against the wall a few right. times and read a lot and ask questions but it's very humbling because where you end up is at a place where you say it's all of God yeah. um, and that's a beautiful place to be but it's a scary place to our flesh uh, I, I I would never have said prior to studying these things that I want to hold on to control and, yeah. and I would have said no I want to give all glory to God but when confronted with a passage like Romans 8.30 and really trying to just be objective let it stand, do the study it was hard on my flesh, but it was good for my soul. Mm. Um, and has and has changed me. It's changed its worldview shaping to be able to say it's truly of the Lord. Um, and really, it must be. Because, yeah. if, again, Romans 8 is building on Romans 1, 2, and 3, right. which came before. And in Romans 1, 2, and 3, we clearly see that men are dead in their trespasses. Yeah. Men are darkened in their understanding. They suppress the truth that they have. There's any hope. If you really just read Romans 1, starting in verse 18, through the end of chapter 3, if there's any hope for humanity to be saved, it must be God right. that moves not 99% to our 1%, but he must move 100% to do what we cannot and will not do on our own. And I think that's what makes this doctrine so difficult is we don't have that foundation. We may think that we do. Sure, I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. And I think sometimes people mean by that, well, we've all done something wrong. Right. But when we look at Romans 3, it's not just we've done something wrong we're incapable of doing what is right. And so that means I am depraved from my inner being. I, I don't have a spark of the divine. I don't have something, if you only knew the inside of me, well, right. I don't want you to know the inside of me. And when we get to that conclusion, well, it's a miracle that God would choose any instead of, well, of course so-and-so should be saved. They're, they're really a good person. I think we're all, uh, I, mean, I know I was, but I think many, if not all, are, are functional semi-Pelagians yeah. on some level. We would never say that, we never identify with that, but if you don't know what I mean by that, Pelagius was the so-called reluctant heretic, you know, that uh, unfortunately or fortunately <laughs> had to lock horns with uh, St. Augustine. But Pelagius, the semi-idea of semi-Pelagianism is what you said, the spark of the divine, that if God gives a command to repent, I must have some inherent power to do so um, but again, that's a, a philosophical yeah. outworking instead of a biblical outworking. A biblical outworking says we're dead in our trespasses and sins, and God commands us to repent. Well, how can we do that? Well, the command gives the yeah. enabling to do so. So if God didn't call anyone, based on what we see in Romans 1, 2, and 3, if God did, decided not to call, not to justify, uh, we would be getting unfairness? No, we'd be getting justice. Yeah. And so it's, it's a hard saying. It, it can be said in a very mean tone. And so please know I'm, I'm not saying this in a mean tone or with any venom in my, my heart at all. But 
The question is not, why doesn't God save everybody? When you read Romans in total, you come away saying, why does God save anybody? Right. Uh, why do bad things happen to good people? No, no, no. Why do anything? Why does anything good happen to bad people? Right. And that, and I'm putting myself in that camp. It's not, you know, me looking down on yeah. a, a mass of humanity, but myself saying, why does anything good happen? Because, uh, and if we if we look at that and say, yeah, but I'm not that bad, then we're we're missing the holiness of God. Right. We're missing what Romans one, two, and three is meant to do. It was it was hard preaching through Romans one, two, and three because um, it's very humbling. It's, it's you can say it with pastoral care, but it's still very heavy and. And it's meant to be. It's meant to be kind of a hammer to break our pride. Well, we're, we're running out of time. When, in terms of dangers to avoid, I think there are two here we've, we've hit upon. And, and the first is to, as, as Romans 12 says, to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned you don't feel like you've reached the mountaintop in your understanding and you're better. And I can echo that in the sense that it's really the exact opposite. When you come to embrace this doctrine... That comes with a very humbling experience of, I am depraved. I am sinful to my very core. Mm -hmm. I don't feel enlightened. I feel guilt. I feel shame. The good news is I can take that to the cross. And and it makes the cross all the more glorious. And it makes grace all the more amazing when I have that foundation. And on on the other side of that, um, we hit upon the idea of evangelism. There is still an external call, and that's how I believe God uh, draws people to himself with that internal call. Um, I don't have a mandate. I think it was Charles Spurgeon that said, if if men had a scarlet E written on their chest, I would preach the gospel to only them. Um, <laughs> but they don't. And so I am to declare the gospel. And I think part of that is God is so magnificent, and his plan of salvation is so great Everyone ought to know this, not because they necessarily need it, which they do, but because God is that magnificent, God is that glorious, that we need to to shout it from the rooftops. It, it's a form of worship, I, I believe evangelism is, if it's done right. Well, and calling, um, that we've been talking yeah. about today too, that's where all that lofty, beautiful, majestic theology that you were just mentioning at this point in the chain of salvation in Romans 8.30, calling is where it intersects with our lives. Yeah. And that's where most people who say, tell me your testimony, they rightly begin at calling. That yeah. when, when the lights went on, if you will, when I yeah. started to understand, maybe you were 5, maybe you were 95, maybe you were 55. But that's where most people would cite their salvation. And so from the experiential standpoint, we struggle with um, things like predestination, foreknowledge, because it's calling where we became aware. Right. And Paul realizes, Paul's not speaking in Romans 8.30 from the horizontal human level. He's speaking from the vertical God-centered level. So Paul is saying, it, what he means is if you're suffering and groaning and under persecution, he doesn't want your hope to be primarily on your profession of faith and your yeah. sincerity and your uh, fervency. He wants you to see it from God's angle. Uh, and that's, I think, helpful to know that because most people say, well, calling is where I experienced all these things and say yes but Paul's taking you about 50,000 feet higher to see the bigger idea and if anyone out there is listening and thinking they've given me a lot of speculation and theology but where is that in scripture I encourage you to go to Acts 16 Hmm. go to Acts 16 the conversion of Lydia Um, I'll just quickly read from Acts 16 starting in verse 11 says, so setting sail from Troas we made a direct voyage to Simothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. 
We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. So you see, Paul didn't get an angelic visitation. He's just going to preach. He's giving the external call. He says, I suppose there are people there, so I'll go and share the gospel. So what we don't see is God saying, hey, Paul, go here. No, no, no. He's just living life. He's just being faithful. So he goes down to the riverside, and there's women there, so he speaks about the gospel. Verse 14 says, One one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. That's it's a huge implication. Yeah. So we see in the that Lord passage the external call going forward. Paul is speaking to a group of people. But while he was doing that, and we know his speech wasn't always eloquent. He told us that. Right. So he's sharing the gospel. Verse 14, the Lord opened her heart, not everyone. This wasn't another day of Pentecost. This was one person. Yeah. It says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Verse 15, and after she was baptized, her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. She prevailed upon it. She became a huge supporter and a pillar in Paul's ministry. And so if you're looking for where's this external internal call paradigm, Go to Acts 16, start in verse 11, and just ponder that. And then you'll see other implications as well. Yeah. First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, First Corinthians 1. God chose, God chose, God chose what is weak, what is yeah. low, so that no one may boast. And we boast in the Lord. So, Well, we get into application, and the first thing that jumps out of my mind is I'm more and more convinced the older I get, it's the sovereignty of God in salvation that makes evangelism possible. We talked about, well, what do we do with a person I've been praying for for years and years and years, but if they're not elect? Well, I can pray for that person knowing God is the one who opens the heart. Mm -hmm. And no matter how hardened that heart may be, uh, Ezekiel reminds us he can take that heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. Mm -hmm. And so it's that, that idea of calling coming from God, not from me. That gives me the confidence I, I can continue in prayer knowing I'm talking to the only person who can actually make this happen. And I think it's, this is kind of a big concept to end on, yeah. but maybe it'll whet our appetites when we come back. But God ordains the end. That's primarily what we've been speaking yeah. about is how God ordains the end of things. And that's true. But we must remember that God ordains the means and the end. Right. So if it was just that God ordained the end, Lydia in Acts 16 would have just come to Christ kind of autonomously. But God also ordained the means to that end, which was Paul making a decision, seemingly of his own choice, saying, I'm going to go to this riverside, I'm going to yeah. preach. Um, and, and, and yet we know God was sovereign over that as well. Paul made a real choice with real consequence, and yet we know God is sovereign over that. The book of Proverbs says, the die is cast in the lap, but the Lord determines the outcome. And so as you as a listener are thinking of your neighbor or going on a missions trip or your coworkers. All of your goings and your doings and your praying and your preaching is all commanded, it's all empowered, yeah. and it's all under God's providential care. And so it gives us great uh, encouragement to go and preach because right. we know God is sovereign. If I thought that God was waiting to see what I will do or if I could cajole someone's will uh, to react uh, as in open theism, you know, that gives very little encouragement. But because God is sovereign over these things. But just don't forget, not only does he ordain the end, he ordains the means to the end. Yeah. So what are some recommended resources for going a little deeper in this? A small book that 
is more of a recent publication that's very easy to read, very enjoyable, and, and very uh, applicable to this conversation would be Five Points hmm. by John Piper. Uh, Five Points to a Deeper Experience of God's Grace. Uh, it's barely 100 pages, I yeah. think. But very easy to read. Covers a lot of the points that we're looking at here in Romans 8.30. Um, but he, he deals with essentially what we've been talking about today is irresistible yeah. grace. And so there's an entire chapter on irresistible grace. And the reason I recommend that book is because he talks about how uh, we often should maybe should start our conversation about God's sovereignty there mm-hmm. because that's how most people experience yeah. it. Uh, and I think it's just very, that chapter specifically is very pastorally helpful. And I'll add two here. Um, J.I. Packer, The Sovereignty of God in Evangelism, tackles this subject pretty, pretty well. Mm-hmm. And then we talked about the gospel from the air, and that's, or, or an, air, an aerial view of the gospel. And uh, the explicit gospel by Matt Chandler talks about just that, the gospel on the ground and the gospel on the air, and uh, does a great job of, of separating those two and expanding upon what we see as opposed to what God sees. Mm-hmm. Well, Pastor Aaron, thanks again for joining us, and uh, the conversation is really just getting started here. So next week we'll get into the idea of justification, so join us then. But in the meantime, don't forget to check our uh, website, www basicbiblepodcast.org or catch us on Twitter at Basic Bible Cast. And uh, Pastor Aaron, we can recommend your book as well again, When Shadows Fall, The Grieving Saint and the Granite Promises of Romans 8 really gets into a practical look um, at this passage and really the entirety of chapter 8. Excellent. Thank you again. So join us again next week. Until then, 